like to drink coffee, you'd rather have tea. But we both like hot beverages and we take them very seriously. So let's sit at the table and take some time to be different together. Welcome to Different Together, a podcast that explores the spaces between different communities and imagines building new ones together. I'm Rebecca Farlow. And I'm Justin Lee. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We're continuing in our kind of framing of how to be different together. We've talked um, quite a bit about communicating, particularly in like a friendship relationship. We talked last week about context and the importance of uh, understanding context and how it plays into so many things. And today I wanted us to talk about posture. Mm. And I think about it as I'm sitting here slumped over in my chair. uh, Yeah, I I was (laughs) going to say (laughs) (laughs) the importance of good posture. I was going to say I don't Um, feel qualified to talk about good posture. at all. I have good standing posture. Because I'm almost six feet tall, and I always wanted to be six feet tall, but I didn't quite make it. So I always just always stand up very straight. But when I sit, I definitely I slump over. So I'm sitting up straight now. But I, I don't think I have good posture, standing, <laughs> sitting, or I don't think anybody's ever looked at me and said that's that guy's got the best posture. If they have, <laughs> their experience of the world is very limited. <laughs> His posture is excellent. (laughs) So I played volleyball in college and I had my uniform on one time before a game. And one of my teammates came over and she was messing with my sleeves. And she's like, why is this side? Like she couldn't get it like straightened out to her satisfaction. And then we figured out it's because like my right shoulder is actually like higher than my left one (laughs) slightly. I don't know if that was just because of all the weightlifting or what. I don't really feel like it looks that way now. (laughs) No, I mean, it It looks completely <laughs> normal to me. I mean, it wasn't something you'd look at me and be like, wow. But it was, you know, with our with our jerseys. I don't know. I had I, my my shoulders were higher back then because I had much larger like lat muscles and stuff. But that was a long time ago. So <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing in my life that can be explained by because of all the weightlifting. That's just. <laughs> And yet here we are still friends. I <laughs> me <laughs> with my tea and you with me your with coffee. My, me with my coffee. What kind um, of coffee are you drinking today? That's a great question. Um, well, we like to get beans from a local coffee shop. And this is a medium roast blend. So it's lovely. Okay. Yeah, I have missed all the weightlifting. Not like I was doing a ton anymore, but I haven't been to the gym in you know, since March of 2020. (laughs) So that's been tough. But I do hope I'll be able to go back sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, me too. I definitely, it's... uh, (laughs) You miss it so much. It's it's COVID that that, that kept me out of the gym. keeps you from the gym? Of the gym. Otherwise, (laughs) I would just be... I'm sure you've got a complete at-home body weight Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) it's interesting because there is this there's this kind of stereotype I think about what 
it you're supposed to be if you're a gay man like what mm-hmm. does it look like to be a gay man and there are certain things that that I fit I mean I do like musicals although I don't know that that has anything to do with my being I mean, maybe it does but I don't think it has anything <laughs> to do with my being gay I think it has much more to do with coming from a family where my parents loved musicals and mm-hmm. took my siblings and me to musicals when we were kids and mm-hmm. my sister you know was absolutely obsessed with musicals when we were kids and uh, mm-hmm. I learned a lot about musicals from her so like mm-hmm. I, you know I, I don't know how much of it has to do with being gay but that's a stereotype I fit but when it comes to like spending time in the gym and <laughs> or or all of the the images that I've seen you know on TV and in the movies for many years of like gay men who spend their time at clubs drinking <laughs> fruity <laughs> cocktails and martini glasses or, or whatever mm-hmm. uh, like none of that is me and um wait what kind of tea are you drinking again today <laughs> this is a this is a <laughs> this is a a honeybush banana nut tea <laughs> um but you know it's just so interesting like there's this we we put people in boxes and then mm-hmm. sometimes those boxes become oppressive both directions it's harmful to us to put other people in boxes but it's Mm -hmm. it's it's harmful to put ourselves in boxes as well Mm -hmm. and it's harmful to other people when we put them in boxes like you know every direction that you go with putting people in boxes it's not uh don't do it don't put people in boxes (laughs) i think you're right that leads us into the actual posture i'm talking about as opposed to the the way we're sitting, which is just how are we approaching? What is our, I guess, attitude is maybe a good word, but what is our, what is our posture when we're coming to a conversation with another person or with a group, or even when we're engaging with anything, I'd say that's different. That's, that's not something that we know is kind of in our box, right? Or in our comfort zone. Mm. What is our posture? Are we you know, inclined to be skeptical? Are we curious? I think a curious posture is really helpful to disarming a lot of things. So Mm. if you are, if you can be curious about why somebody else, we've talked about this a bit before, but why somebody else thinks the way they do uh, Mm -hmm. or has a particular opinion or whatever, if you can be curious about that, that can take a lot of the edge off. I'm not saying like it's going to work in every situation, but I think it's a good posture to bring mm-hmm. to to the table. Yeah, curiosity is highly underrated in modern society. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we value certainty often more than than curiosity, but we we should be curious. We you know, we mm-hmm. we need to I mean, there's something wonderful about childhood when, you know, because kids are curious about everything and they're always Mm -hmm. asking why, 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 you know, to the point where they drive their parents and everyone else around them crazy. But like Mm -hmm. that, that curiosity, that recognizing that you don't know everything and wanting to know things, wanting Mm -hmm. to understand things is it's how we learn. It's how we learn how Mm -hmm. the world works when we're kids and when there's a point where I think where we become adults and we think, 
okay, now I'm supposed to know the answers to these things that I'm not supposed right. to ask. And if I don't know, then I'll like, you know, Google it and then, mm-hmm. and then I'll know um, and right. I can pretend I knew all along. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's so important, so valuable to be able to admit when we don't know things mm-hmm. and, and have that curiosity. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday and we were talking about various things, you know, some of them theological. And she was like, I often say that the best and most honest answer is I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's exactly right. I think in this particular day and age, it seems like saying I don't know makes people feel weak or vulnerable. Mm. I think because of a lot of the things you were just talking about with the illusion of certainty. But I mean, we don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's refreshing when somebody says, I don't know, or even just says, I believe that this is the case. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. a lot of us, when when we were like, I don't know about you, like when I was when I was in school, I was taught not to write, I think, or I believe in a paper because that, you know, weakens the argument. I get that there are cases in formal writing where you don't want to do sure. that. But like, I wish more people did say, I think, or I believe, even in front of statements that they feel fairly confident of. Right. Because it just shows a certain amount of humility. I mm-hmm. believe is a strong statement. I believe this thing, you know, like mm-hmm. that's that's strong. And I, I think, it, but, it, but it also is a certain amount of, there's there's humility in that where you're saying mm-hmm. like if somebody there is you receive it so differently when somebody says to you i believe you're wrong about this versus you're wrong about this right right and i think i think you're exactly right i mean i think the two kind of key pieces to the sort of posture we're talking about are curiosity and humility mm. and Humility, like you, like what you're just talking about, I think is a sign of confidence and a sign of a, a position of strength mm-hmm. where you have, you have the confidence to be like, yeah, well, I know what I think and I know what I believe, but I, I'm willing to frame this in ways that are more gracious to other people and more uh, allowing for there to be discussion, mm. I think. Something James would off and I would often say when with sanctuary was with things like, you know, we could be wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, obviously we've done a lot of work and we've done a lot of studying and thinking and growing and, and praying and all these things. And so we think we're right about these things, but we hold them loosely because we also know that we could be wrong. And we also know that we're always learning and changing and evolving. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I love what you just said that like that when you're confident, like it takes a certain amount of confidence sometimes to, mm-hmm. to have that humility to say, you know, I could be wrong. It, there's something interesting about how often the people who know the least about a subject are the ones who have the hardest time saying, I believe this is true. The, the ones who feel like they have to, you know, be 100% certain about things. But I'm reminded of something that like, one of my elementary school teachers had on the wall when I was a kid. The more you know, the more you know that you don't know. And and there's something about like how the more you become an expert in a subject, the more you realize 
the complexities of the subject and the mm-hmm. nuances and that there's so much more to know. You know, when mm-hmm. when you're a little kid, you realize you don't know anything. And then you learn a little bit and you get to this point where you think you know everything. Mm-hmm. And then you learn a little bit more and it's like, oh, nope, actually I know way less <laughs> than I thought I did. It's often the people who are actually the actual experts who know the most who are the ones who are the the most willing to say, eh, well, you know, this is based on the current information we have, based on mm-hmm. my understanding of this topic, here's the best answer, but, you right. know. <laughs> yeah, and I think it there's this relationship with confidence and security and humility that you're talking about, where if, like, someone is, I think, insecure, they can be very arrogant. I can you know, probably count on my, on one hand like the number of people I've met who are like ultra ultra confident, but not like they don't cross that line into arrogance. They're just extremely confident in a way that is appealing. Hmm. And I, it's very I, it is rare for me to encounter I think somebody who's really like that who really walks that line of like I am. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly, like, I'm very confident in myself and can be such gracious people. I I far more often encounter arrogance and condescension and dismissiveness, and I associate that with insecurity. Mm -hmm. It's it's counterintuitive. Like, you you would think... And often I think we we mistakenly believe that the people who say things very confidently are the ones who who not only who know the most but who really are the most confident but if mm-hmm. it's if it that that kind of arrogant confidence like that sort of mm-hmm. arrogance is is not uh, necessarily an indicator of confidence at all yeah and it's a real problem right now um you know with with people, I think, having a difficult time figuring out what information they should place their confidence in and, mm. and they should use to then develop their own thoughts about things. I wish I had good advice for a lot of those things, but that's, I think the frame we're giving is something that you people can use when approaching information too, <clears throat> you know, and, and there's sort of like, what is the context of that information? I like nonfiction, particularly like historical true crime and kind of like civil war era U.S. history type things. But when I'm trying to find a book, I always really, I, I feel like I heavily vet the author. I'm like, okay, what is, what expertise does this person have? What gives them the expertise to write this book? Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it's just that they're a good writer and a good researcher, and that's that's fine. Like maybe they've written, they're a nonfiction author who spends five years researching whatever it is they're writing about. They've produced other good books. That's great. Maybe they're an actual expert in whatever field it is. But <clears throat> to me, it's really important to know this information I'm getting comes from someone who can be, <clears throat> excuse me, trusted on it, as well as you look for kind of that other buy-in, maybe from other sources you trust, other authors, other publications. Mm-hmm. Well, and and all of that 
vetting that you're doing is again, mm-hmm. you know, part of this staying curious. It's part mm-hmm. of this like not jumping to conclusions. It's it's maintaining curiosity. I think you know that curiosity it helps us when we're doing the vetting that you're talking about to find what is true. It helps us to have a certain openness to being corrected on the things that we think that we already know for sure, mm-hmm. you know, which doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you, you know, walk around not ever believing anything. I mean, you, you have to draw conclusions in order to exist in the world. You have to draw conclusions about how the world works. We learned that on... in high school writing, too. You have to draw conclusions. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you have to, to make any decision at any point, you have to use the best information you have. But but having some humility and some curiosity means that in the future, if you're presented with something that contradicts something that you believe, that you don't immediately abandon what you believe, but but you 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 stay curious about this mm-hmm. information and is it trustworthy, and how trustworthy is it, and you know and and enough humility to acknowledge that you could be wrong about something Mm -hmm. um, or that sources that you trust could be wrong. I mean, sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes it's sort of like, I know I'm fallible, but I trust, you know, this, this person who has, has never steered me wrong in the past. They seem to know what they're talking about, but even Mm -hmm. that person is not infallible. We're seeing a lot of this in the press right now with Mm -hmm. people who have very high profiles, you know, being, I would say, just really run through the ringer for being human. Mm. I'm like, no matter how much you admire somebody, like, they're not perfect. And we cannot ask them to be. Yeah, Um, and that's, and that's such a, I mean, that's, at some point, I would love to have a whole conversation about that. I think we should. Because that is such a, it's such a tricky balance, you know. We're we're coming into an age of um, increased accountability in certain areas. That's important, mm-hmm. um, but it it can come with this sort of immediate expectation for everybody to be perfect. That's that's not or like my realistic. definition of perfect, even right. Like if you don't yeah. do things exactly how I think they should be done, then yeah. you're just. I'm going to write you off. And I'm just like, how on earth are you ever going to move through life (laughs) seriously and create any kind of lasting relationships or community if your impulse is just to write off people who say one thing you don't agree with? Well, there's there's an interesting parallel there to... um, There have been times in history where this is going to seem like an odd kind of uh uh analogy that i'm that i'm making but stick with me for a second there have been times in history where um there have been laws on the books that don't get enforced regularly because if they were enforced strictly just about everybody would violate them at one point or another Mm mm-hmm and so then what happens is those laws stay on the books, not really so that they can be enforced regularly on everyone, but mm-hmm. so that they can be enforced 
selectively when there is a particular individual or a group of individuals you want to target, you being mm-hmm. the people in power, the people right. who are, you know, enforcing these laws. Mm-hmm. That that you know, that that if 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 there's this law that pretty much everybody's violating, I can choose to care about that law uh, when you violate it because right. I want to haul you to jail for something or fine you for something, mm-hmm. um, and I don't have another legitimate reason to do that. Right. And, of course, that's really dangerous. Well, in a similar kind of way, if we are holding everyone in the world to this unrealistic standard of perfection um, and we know that no one's going to be perfect according to my definition or anyone's definition really all the time it gives us then the freedom to feel justified in pointing the finger at the people we want to point the finger at um when you know if we were to shine that same spotlight on on everyone Mm -hmm. um who, who who could withstand it? Well, like, and why would you want to? Why would you want to live in a space where everything you ever think or say is being judged, right? By, I think there's so much happening right now where it's like, you're missing the point. You're missing the forest for the trees and we're missing, we're asking the wrong questions. Mm. Because the right question in this, this sort of thing we're talking about is, where is this person's heart? Like what, like what is it inside this person? What are the things that they care deeply about? Not is everything they've ever said perfect. (laughs) I know everything I've ever said, isn't it? And and I think that, I mean, obviously you can't see into somebody else's heart, but I think, well, you can't, (laughs) (laughs) I have not yet developed that skill, (laughs) but I think that, what you've just said gets at like the real distinction here that like there are times when public pressure has to be put on somebody in order to get them to do the right thing because they have no intention of doing the right thing unless they're forced to Um, or public attention needs to be brought to a wrong that's been done because someone is otherwise going to get away with it sure but i think that is you know, that is really different from someone who genuinely is trying to do the right thing. They genuinely want to be the best person they can be, and they've made a mistake. They've misunderstood mm-hmm. something. They did something, in, you know, wrong in the past that they are genuinely repentant for. Mm-hmm. Um, they they said something that was offensive that they didn't realize was offensive, and as soon as it was brought to their attention, they, they were horrified that they had offended right. somebody because it wasn't their intent. Like, that's mm-hmm. such a different situation, and we mm-hmm. can't just lump all of that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, again, where that nuance comes in, where it's sort of like, you know, anything you say... I mean, we have these conversations about call-out culture, cancel culture, all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, and then those conversations start breaking down along political lines mm-hmm. and all this stuff. It's bullying. I mean, really, it's just like grown-ups bullying. <laughs> well, and, and and this is the thing, is that, like, if you and I have a conversation about, and I, I hate even using a phrase like cancel culture because it's so politicized right now. Right, let's, yeah. let's say we were going to have a conversation, and you know, mm-hmm. one of us says cancel culture, right? I almost said it a few minutes ago. What you and I... <laughs> may be envisioning when we talk mm-hmm. about cancel culture maybe different things 
one of us may be envisioning a situation where somebody was rightly called out on something that needed to be called out. Mm -hmm. And the other may be envisioning a situation where someone is being bullied, like you say. Right. And then and then we start fighting about is this right or wrong? But we're not the We're talking about the same thing. We're not talking about the same thing, exactly. Yeah. And that's and that's where again to bring it back to curiosity, this is another example of where that curiosity comes in. That if you say, for instance, you know, uh, let's say you said cancel culture a minute ago, and you said, you know, mm-hmm. I think cancel culture is a problem, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and my when I hear cancel culture, what I envision is people being rightly held accountable for wrong mm-hmm. deeds. Well, then, then what I need to do is rather than jump down your throat about how dare you say because you know, these things need to happen and da, 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 to have some curiosity and say okay so when you're envision when you're talking about this tell me like what kinds of situations are you envisioning and mm-hmm. then maybe you can ask me the same thing and then as we talk about that we get more nuance where you where you know each of us mm-hmm. can say oh you know you're, you're right in that situation what happened was inappropriate or or whatnot mm-hmm. and then now we're having a conversation and even if we don't end up agreeing at least we have a greater understanding of each other as human beings. And there's empathy. Just, yes. Yes. <laughs> Curiosity really leads we, to empathy. To there you go. Yes. There you go. Boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have in my notes, curiosity is a gateway to empathy. <laughs> is that in your notes? Yeah, it is. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, I mean, which, spoiler, everything we're talking about is leading to how do we develop empathy? <laughs> Uh, mm. How do we grow our empathy for others who are different? And at, if we present in the world as empathetic individuals, perhaps then the the script can also be flipped and other people can start to learn how to empathize with us, right? Mm. Especially as we get away from, as we get into more nuanced discussions and away from just reactive, reactive, reactive things. Curiosity, you know, leads to empathy in in so many ways. I mean, I'm just thinking right now about people I've known who have been frustrating to me, where I wish that I had early on in those frustrating encounters had more curiosity about what's going on with this person, mm-hmm. because sometimes. Without that curiosity, we put we put somebody in a box and say mm-hmm. this person is a is a bad person. Whereas with with some curiosity, I may learn that this person has had a different set of experiences from me, and those experiences influence how they talk about whatever it is that I'm fighting with them about, mm-hmm. or they their brain works differently from mine. We're learning more and more about ways that human brains are different, and mm-hmm that um that all of us we have the one brain that we have and that's the way that we experience the world and so those brains can cause us to have different communication styles and different ways of understanding the world and if we don't have enough curiosity to understand that about somebody we can again put them in a box rather than you know getting mm-hmm. to know what it is. Now, I may still, I can have curiosity about this person and get to know why they function the way they do and not put them in the box of being a villain and still decide I don't really enjoy talking to them. Yeah, or the, and that you don't have to agree with them. Right. <laughs> there, But th- there are people in my life who 
at first I thought, well, this person is just a jerk and I and I don't want to be around them. And and then after getting to know them better, I realized, oh, this person is not just a jerk. Their brain works differently from mine. And they're and also they've had different experiences. And I and no, I don't think they're a jerk. <laughs> right, I think yeah, they're yeah. responding to the world as they, you know, have experienced it, and I still don't want to be around them, but I understand them better now. Right. That's great. Yeah. It's, which brings me to this week's my therapist says moment. <laughs> my therapist says it is okay to not like people. <laughs> like mm. individuals. If there are people in your life <clears throat> that you find yourself not liking, that is okay. It does not mean that you are a bad person. She is also says, she's like, I, we couldn't possibly all like each other. Mm. Like God is the only being who can like everyone. I remember listening to the Christian comedian and musician, Mark Lowry growing up. And I remember him having a bit on one of his albums about there's a difference between loving people and liking people. Mm -hmm. And he said something along the lines of, there are a lot of people I love that I don't like. <laughs> Sounds like a country song, too. <laughs> <clears throat> we can treat people with with love. Yeah, it doesn't give kindness. us the right to be jerks to them. It's just Absolutely. like, you know, don't... I think Christian culture, particularly evangelical Christian culture, can give this, like... If you don't like someone, that's against God's will. And that's mm. just not the case. You're trying to contort yourself into something that is not possible. Let me preface this by saying <laughs> um, I, I still very much identify myself as an evangelical, even though I, mm -hmm. I kind of hate to these days because evangelicals, the term evangelical has such a horrible connotation with so many people. And that mm -hmm. makes me sad. I think that there are valuable things in, in evangelicalism, and I think that there are things that need to change mm -hmm. in evangelicalism. But um, so I say this with with all the love in my heart to, to my <laughs> my fellow evangelicals. Bless your hearts. <laughs> but there is sometimes this, you know. Let me just add to what you said. There is sometimes this, um, you know, as good evangelicals we need you need to love this person and you need to to like this person because god likes them because otherwise you'll be like those evil people out there who none of us like you know <laughs> so true yeah i mean i just say all this to myself as much to anyone else like i have a hard time not liking people because in part i think it makes me feel like a bad christian mm. um but yeah like mm. it's just you you know people are people and we're different and you know you even though we advocate strongly for being different together with lots of different kinds of people that, that doesn't mean you're going to be friends with every single person you meet either <clears throat> yeah imagine if you were yeah. imagine if every single person you ever met you wanted to be best friends with that would yeah. be a, a struggle <laughs> Like, I can see the horror in your eyes right now. <laughs> as an introvert. <laughs> I'm just more emotional space for this. I do, right? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's it's natural that there are that there are people we gravitate toward. But I mm. think I think though we just have to be careful not to 
get too insulated um you know in in the friends that we choose mm-hmm. so that so that we don't ever interact in a meaningful way with people who are different from us and and that we don't rub off our edges around our friends like if mm. we're friends with people that we know think differently about some things like i think it it can be really tempting to just like not share that part of yourself with mm. them if I'm not saying argue all the time about the one thing, you know, you really disagree on, but I'm saying like, don't, I don't think it's a great idea to hide parts of yourself that are important to you mm-hmm. um, because you're afraid you may not be accepted. I don't. Yeah. If you do find yourself publicly conforming to what your friends think, you know, mm-hmm. so as not to make waves, <laughs> research shows that, what ends up happening is you you start to believe the things that you say that you believe. It starts to change who you are and how you see the world. And and again, we lose that curiosity. If I could step into American society right now um, as a blank slate, knowing nothing about the different factions, the different people groups, the different you know, political views, if I could just like, you know, like, as like an alien being, as as an adult with intelligence, but not knowing anything about this society, I would have a lot of curiosity about a lot of things. If you said Mm -hmm. to me, well, you know, we have two major political parties, I would have lots of questions. Well, you know, I would want to know, what are the major beliefs of these parties? What distinguish them? Why? Why are there only two major ones and what are the minor ones and why do so many people align themselves with this party or that party what are all the factors and what you know like i, I have a lot of questions and even mm-hmm. if i found myself gravitating one way or the other politically i would want to know a lot about well clearly there are a whole bunch of people some of whom are very intelligent who are on the other side whatever side i choose so mm-hmm. why what's going mm-hmm. on i i wouldn't settle for an easy answer and i think in in our daily lives we settle for easy answers like well those people are all stupid those people are all they're all awful they're all terrible people they're all ignorant they're all whatever you're they're all villains they're all villains but at the minute you say they are all anything Mm -hmm. that's that's not an answer that comes from curiosity and it's almost certainly an incorrect answer because no group is monolithic there's no they are all about it if you look inside of any political party any group of people they might seem monolithic from the outside but you get to know them on the inside and you find that there are people who are aligned with that group for a lot of different reasons maybe Mm -hmm. even incompatible reasons and so it's it's that curiosity that keeps us from just demonizing and villainizing people uh, yeah. and, and and we need to hang on to that. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And the whole kind of two side thing brings me to like one of the last points I wanted for us to talk about, which mm. when we are approaching with a posture of winning and losing, mm. I think everybody loses because for there to be a winner, what does that mean for the loser? If we're trying to create communities together, I think that 
the goal cannot be to win. Uh, mm. The goal, we have to actually be willing to lose. And James and I would talk all the time to churches about this. I'm like, you basically have to be willing to lose things to actually create this space where people are going to be able to be together and feel cared for and be able to meet Jesus. We're actually all going to have to lose because that's what Jesus models as well. Hmm. And not to like, so, oh, it's such a loss because it's a gain in the end, right? And we see this all the time in scripture. And I think everyone is kind of like, what does that mean when you know, like when you lose, you actually gain things? And it, it means a lot of things. And I'm not claiming to understand the entirety of that. But I've written some stuff about theology and worship. And I'm just going to read a little blurb from it. So, for me, everything we do as Christians and as people falls under the umbrella of loving God and loving others. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he said to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is not an easy command, and it isn't something we can simply brush aside as too general or too easy or too inclusive. Love isn't easy. It can be messy and painful. Loving means that we put aside our need to win, and sometimes loving looks and feels a lot more like losing. Jesus lost a lot of things, his family, his friends, and ultimately his life. And he was the model for us, a loser willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of loving those very people he'd lost. And the ending thought there is, you know, how could we ever love that way? Only with the help of God. Hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. But yeah, I just... I think I've actually talked about this previously, but people act like the the command to love is too it's too much. It's too open. It's too like it's too letting everything in. It's well, it's also what scripture says, but but it's not. It's very, very hard. Yeah. It's not it's not like the easy way out. Um, it is actually the hard way, I think, through to some sort of of community that actually can be functional and healing and kingdom of God-like. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, being willing to love people in the midst of conflict... It is, it's very challenging. It's rewarding, but it's very challenging. It's like that humility. It is not a weak position. It's a strong position. It's, it's, it's very misguided to think that, that humility, curiosity, love are, are weak positions. But all of that comes from that kind of winners versus losers mentality and even Mm -hmm. from the winners versus losers mentality i think that that to to prize you know arrogance and overconfidence over humility to to treat people with a lack of grace and lack of love and all that kind of stuff it's not going to help you win anything in the long run anyway it's just going to make everybody not want to be around you and not want to listen to you right yeah and yeah, if, if the idea is if they have something that means I can't have it, I mean, like that's, right. yeah, that's, that's just pitting us against each other. 
and love is not a finite resource. Like, nor is empathy. <clears throat> no. And, you know, I make no secret of the fact that I love games, board games and party games and, you know, all sorts of games. And, um, and so, of course, you know, you start talking about winning and losing. And right away, I'm oh. thinking about games, like actual games. Games are totally games. fine. I'm not anti-competition. <laughs> but to do, you know, a bit of a stretched analogy here, I mean, if I'm having friends come over for for a game and maybe we're playing a a competitive game you know Mm -hmm. where there are literal winners and losers in the game my ultimate goal of hosting this game night Mm -hmm. is not to set myself up to win in the game my ultimate goal is for everyone to have a good time Mm -hmm. and it's better for me to lose and i don't mean so i'm gonna throw the game i just mean in terms of like the decisions i make about how to to set this game up and who to invite Mm -hmm. and and how to make sure that people understand what's going on and how to you know make the decisions that i make during the game and everything Mm -hmm. like my ultimate goal Mm -hmm. is is not to win my ultimate goal is for everyone to have a good time because that's really how how everybody wins right and if there ever is a point where I'm forced to choose between what will gain me the victory in this particular game at the expense of the enjoyment of all the other people playing, or what will make sure that everybody had a good time, even mm-hmm. though you know I don't actually win the game, well, the real winning is everybody having a good time. That's, that's why the whole thing is happening to begin it's with. It's not everybody having a good time and you winning. <laughs> I mean, clearly that's ideal. <laughs> but I think it's it's that within the game, the game itself may be a zero-sum game. It may be mm-hmm. that for one person to win, someone else has to lose within the game. Mm-hmm. But, like, the bigger picture is we're playing this game to have fun. Are people right. having fun? It's for fun. <laughs> and in life, you know, there are a lot of big picture things that we have to think about in terms of the 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 good of people and mm-hmm. and the cultivating of the, the the relationships and the the life and in a religious context we're thinking about you know eternity we're thinking about god we're thinking about like you know there are so many bigger picture things for us to be concerned about that matter more than the whatever the issue is that we're arguing about, which is not to say that whatever the issue we're arguing about is that that it's not important. It may be mm-hmm. very important, mm-hmm. but it is one issue within a much larger context, and we have to be thinking about that whole context and how we're caring for people mm-hmm. in that larger context as we work through the disagreement on the issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca just dropped a, a an invisible mic it did and justin's walking away metaphorically now i am goodbye um, <laughs> uh no i think that's actually a um a good place for us to to wrap so please join us again next week we will be talking about the last of our framing kind of corners we've had communication context posture and the last one is going to be emotion so can I be aware of my own emotions? 
can I be aware of other people's emotions and what to do? Um, some ideas around like what to do when I feel my emotions getting really, really um, activated, especially quickly. Um, it's this is not going to be about suppressing emotions at all. It's going to be about experiencing emotions, but and just being aware of them. But also um, because I know that so many things right now are so activating for so many people. I think some helpful um, talk around that will be good. Mm. If I've already decided who you are and what you think Before we get together and even have a drink Then I'm gone 